0: Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry, featuring hosts Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer at Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott.
1: Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 311 being recorded on Thursday, August 31st. 2023. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome
2: back, Jason and Scott show listeners. Jason, as you know, one of the most common questions we get from our huge listening audience is about live streaming with e-commerce. Is it a big deal? Um, why is it seem to be growing faster uh, in the East versus the West? And how important is it to live live streaming? So we thought we'd get a expert on the show as a guest that could help unpack that for us all. And who better than someone who's led marketing for numerous historic brands and served as the CMO for the mother of all video shopping sites, QVC slash HSN. And so that's exactly who we found. We're excited to welcome to the show, Brian Beitler. He is the founder of mobile v-commerce app called Soon and the general manager of Live Shop Ventures, both part of the Curate Group. And I'm I'm not sure, Jason, but that, that's a lot of words in the title. But I think it's maybe half of the words in your title. But welcome to the show, Brian. We're excited to
0: have you. I'm uh, grateful to be here, and I'll work on trying to lengthen the title so I can keep up with uh, Jason.
1: Uh, set your set your goals higher, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thanks uh, for having me, Brian. We we are thrilled to have you, um, and as our our listeners will will quickly figure out, uh, and we are eager to jump into all this uh, video commerce stuff, but. Um, before we do, we always like to give the listeners a little bit of perspective about uh our guest background and where they're coming from and in your case um it's a super impressive retail slash consumer background so can you can you give us uh the the version that your mom would share with her friends in the elevator
0: <laughs> yeah i happy to do so so i will back up uh, a decade or two but I started well, where I consider I started my career was at Mattel, uh, that huge toy uh, conglomerate. In fact, they're very popular right now coming off of, a, I think, a major hit movie. Uh, I've heard something very about well. Yes, I think uh, so has the rest of the world at this point. But I started my career there and, and fell in love with the toy industry and thought that that's where I would really spend my entire career. Um, when I left Mattel uh, in the early 2000s, I at the time was leading the core part of the Hot Wheels brand, a dream job uh, as a as a father and a former young boy. Uh, but I thought I would give myself a taste of retail in the toy industry, so I actually left Mattel. Thought I would spend a couple of years on the retail side, working with a a brand I knew, we all knew and loved at some point in our childhood called Toys R Us. And truthfully, I the reason I'm here today is I fell in love with retail there. And what was different for me about retail versus consumer packaged goods was just the speed of retail. Uh, it felt like it moved at light speed compared to kind of core CPG brand management. And, you know, I often tell the story, you know, working in those days to change, you know, the package on a five car pack took a couple of years to get it to market. And I joined Toys R Us and we had this idea to launch a birthday club and uh, at the, at the time, I uh, went to the CEO of the, the company, John Eilern, and it was how quickly could you get it in market and could you do it in a couple of months? And that, and I was often running and, and in love with uh, retail. And so I uh, spent a couple of years there and then just continued to be given these remarkable opportunities to work with really amazing brands and helping them reshape their narratives with their consumers or and or finding new pathways, new emerging ways uh, to grow. I was, you know, there at, Bath and Body Works. When we launched e-commerce, uh, we had redesigned the site as a marketing site and decided, oh, we might be able to sell something uh, through here. And that's been my journey. So from from Bath and Body Works to Kohl's Department Store, uh, then my hand in the bridal industry and private equity with David's Bridal, and then women's apparel. Uh, and you know, fast forward uh, a few uh, a few years, and and here I am at Curate Retail Group. Uh, working in what I think is a, a, an exciting future for digital commerce. Um, all of those roles, you know, usually leading the marketing, uh, you know, the marketing or e-commerce function for those various brands and learning a lot, making a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes, um, and getting a few things right every now and then uh, and, you know, kind of landing in a pretty exciting place here at Curate, where we think we're going to do something, you know, again, interesting and new in the digital space.
1: Yeah, um and a couple of fun facts, Brian. Uh you you've led marketing for for a bunch of those brands you just mentioned and while you were doing that, I was nominally um helpful uh in in building a bunch of the the back-end e-commerce functionality for those same brands. And so I think without knowing it, you've hated me your entire life for all the <laughs> the features you wanted and didn't get or the 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 pace of evolution. Uh so I just wanted to apologize uh publicly for all of that.
0: Uh, I appreciate that.
1: But, um, one of the things I particularly love about your career is, is I have this theory that, you know, the, all of retail has uh, been profoundly disrupted by digital, but not all at the same time. Um, and so there yep. were, there were industries that were disrupted a long time ago. And there's, you know, if you're a grocer or a car dealer, you're, you're probably getting disrupted, you know, right now. Um, and I feel like you serendipitously or, or maybe intentionally have, uh, have been in a bunch of industries uh, right at the peak of their disruption. So you, you were Toys R Us when, when shopping online became a thing. And then you were in beauty when that became a thing. And then, uh, you were, you were in the, the, the heat of the, the apparel wars online. Um, and now you're, you're squarely in the V commerce space. Um, and it's, it's, you know, one of the things we talk about the most on the show. So, um, whether you did that on on purpose or not, uh, Congratulations on, on surfing that digital disruption wave.
0: No, I, pre- I appreciate that. I think much much of it was serendipitous. I would say that the pieces that probably weren't was my desire to always work for brands that were leaders in their respective category or industry. And as I look back and reflect, that's probably one of the things that has been the most rewarding and probably given me the best growth is being able to work with you know brands that were at the forefront. Mattel at the time was the leader in in. Uh, toy manufacturing still still are. Toys R Us at the time was the leader in toy retail. Bath and Body Works was the largest kind of bath and body brand at the time. Kohl's was a was a chaser of you know kind of the discount department space and ran past J C and Sears and its competitors. And so that for me has been exciting because you know I think being with those who have built powerful platforms lets you learn from the best. And you know here I sit today with Curate Retail Group, which owns QVC and HSN you know, the largest live stream platform on the globe, uh, by far the industry leader having changed the landscape of how you could use television to shop, you know, some 35 years ago and continued it for nearly four four decades now. So that part of trying to to work with brands that I felt were really leaders in their space because I thought it would be a great place for me to learn has has certainly been intentional. And then this digital crossroad just happened to kind of line up in almost all of those places at the time
1: I was there. Uh, that, that is awesome. And today I sort of perceive you, you are on the leading edge of the curate retail group um, with your current responsibilities. And I, I definitely want to talk about those, but uh, if I have the story right, but be- before um, you took on your current role, you, you also had broader marketing responsibilities um, for the, the core QVC HSN brands. Is that. I did.
0: I yeah. did. That's, that's right. I joined, you know, curate retail group. Um, in uh, 2020 as the chief marketing officer for QVC and HSN, our two largest video commerce businesses at the time. And, you know, you, you fast forward, we, we obviously are in the midst of those businesses are in their own form of transformation uh, and disruption, right? For, in some ways, you know, you talk about a crossroads uh, for businesses, you know, having come through retail when e-commerce was exploding and and retail foot traffic was being affected as people Spent more time online and less time in stores. If you look at where Curate Retail Group, you know, is today, right? Streaming has remade the way we view television, and so we've had to remake our business there as well. Primary, our audience used to be almost entirely um, on, you know, on cable. We we reach over 100 million households in the U.S. We used to reach all of those almost on cable, and over the last several years, as as people have migrated from cable to streaming services, we've migrated our business. We still reach 100 million households. But today we reach many of those through streaming services because they don't have cable subscriptions any longer. And so, you know, joining another business who was in the midst of transformation, again, was was somewhat serendipitous. I was excited about the future of video and video commerce had used that uh, extensively at kind of my two preceding roles. And so part of the excitement of joining Curate was joining someone who was at the cutting edge of this. But to your point, that's been migrating. And then as we looked at the future, we said, gee, what places do we really own from an e-commerce perspective and, and we own the 10 foot screen, the screen that you see in front of you from a living room perspective. you know we do really well on the the laptop, uh, you know the desktop for for e-commerce shopping like most traditional e-commerce retailers. But as we thought about the small screen, that wasn't a place where we had really built for the future yet. and we thought we're we're really well positioned. We could certainly see what was happening in in Asia and the explosion of, of live and mobile driven commerce. And realized that that was going to happen here in the West as well, and felt like we were in a position to to innovate around that, but we needed to put some real focus around it. So, you know, about a year ago, I stepped out of my role as Chief Marketing Officer of QVC and HSN uh, to build Live Shop uh, Ventures and ultimately to launch the Soon platform that we're we're going to talk about today.
1: Amazing, and and I, I for sure am going to get into that. Uh, but I did think you could help us clear up a few just basic questions uh about the industry first uh a i i now have some some uh, envy because uh your tv is 10, 10 feet at home i'm kind of jealous um but uh the you you called it v commerce and i'm just curious like i hear all these different phrases all the time i hear people kind of talk about live streaming when they they don't necessarily mean live and and video like is there a, a preferred label that you guys like to kind of describe this this industry
0: for sure. We love the V-commerce label. In fact, we think V-commerce will be the new e-commerce. And what we mean by that largely is that more and more consumer shopping experiences will be driven by video. In fact, if you look at today's youngest consumer, right, Gen Z uh, or the next generation rising, almost all of their discovery happens in a video experience. Uh, if you think about it, and it could come from one of the well-known Video players, right, who's in this space, uh, Instagram, which has become largely video, TikTok, who obviously has led the way there, YouTube, uh, all of these places, if I think about, and I have, so, um, you know, fun fact, I have six um, kids. Uh, the youngest is squarely Gen Z, uh, 12 years old. The oldest is millennial, 29 years old. And I've watched their journey and most of their discovery, right, the new trip they're going to take, the next meal they're going to make, uh, the next product they're going to buy the next television show they're going to watch is all coming through their video feed. Yet in the e-commerce space, we're still largely dependent upon static images um, and or in the physical space on boxes and shelf talkers. And that's just not the way that the rising generation discovers anything new.
2: Yeah, agreed. Uh, it's interesting you have a built-in test bed. Is that was that part of your strategy? Yeah, <laughs> I think that, that if, if <laughs> we need you more kids. And, I need to get another generation. Yeah,
0: if you went back <laughs> and mapped my career, I did a pretty good job landing at the right brands and the right spaces for my for my kids' ages. The only one they might say I got wrong was the bridal industry. I was a bit premature on the bridal industry. Um, but but you know, as, as I look back, so we do we talk a lot about e-commerce, and that, and that for us means live. It also means pre-recorded. Right. It can mean, um, you know, things that are that are behind the scenes. It's anything that really leverages video to help tell the product and brand story to a consumer in a way that helps them make better decisions and get to yes faster. That's where we see the innovation going. That's where we see all brands needing to play. We think it will look different in the West than it looks in the East. And that's because different consumers and different markets and different level of kind of retail development but we think it'll be globally relevant, uh, over the course of the next, you know, five to 10 years.
2: Very cool. As, as the entrepreneur host on the program, Jason's a big company guy. He's a, uh, you know, but you can tell by his title and Cor- uh, corporate drone, <laughs> <laughs> he's a corporate drone and he doesn't even know who he works for half the time over there. There's like he's like, I think I have a boss, but I don't know. I don't know who approves my expense reports anymore. Uh, that's how big his uh, company is. And (laughs) uh, I'm, I'm, you know, one of my favorite books is the innovators dilemma where, and I'm sure you're familiar with it where, you know, most companies like TRU, they were super innovative and really did a ton in the category. And, you know, a lot of them don't make it. Um, It's interesting to me that you're now working for a company that, you know, obviously is working to not get caught in that. And most companies don't kind of, it sounds like, and I may be reading too much in this, you, you, you either put your hand up and said, I want to do this. Or they said, we need someone to incubate this. And you volunteered. I'd love to hear the story of how you're kind of like starting this company inside of a bigger company that that's to the the extent you can share what you want to that. That's always interesting to hear because a lot of, a lot of big companies don't do that.
0: No, I, you know, I appreciate that. You know, we, we feel, you know, we, I feel honored to kind of be in a, in an organization and part of a company that's trying to lead that way. Forbes just named Curate Retail, one of the, you know, the country's top 300 innovative companies, right? So we're recognized for having thought about this space and, and we've innovated over the course of the last um, 35 plus years. If you were to look at what QVC and HSN looked like 30 years ago, they'd look very different than what you see today, both in the way that we reach and interact with customers. And so, you know, the story here, you know, I'll, I'll keep it relatively brief for, for time's sake, but we were looking at, you know, the future of, curate and, and looking for where we think you know, growth could come from. I was obviously looking at that in my core role as chief marketing officer. I led our, you know, our insights and analytics team and we were looking at the consumer and we we're looking at the, at the businesses and the ages of, and cohorts of consumers where we did really well and where we felt like there was opportunity for us. And, and one of those that was clear was we had an opportunity with a younger consumer and unlike many, many brands that will often make the decision to go, how do we stretch our brand younger? It's one of the hardest things to do. Our view was to say, wow, we have a core customer we love. Our QVC and HSN customers, 50 plus, they're affluent, they have disposable income. Uh, they they love to engage with us in this way. We think there is potential for growth with still the 50 plus customer. We have plenty of consumers who can discover our experience who aren't yet shopping there and we think can fall in love with it. But we did recognize, hey, there's a, there's a rising generation that's that's embedded in videos, embedded in the way that they operate. Why aren't we doing anything there? So I did raise my hand and talk a lot about, you know, that consumer and about the power of video and our expertise and you know that with um, uh, David Rawlinson, who was a new CEO who had who had joined us in in you know uh, late t- 21, had an eye for for growth and an eye for the digital landscape and. You know, started to, he started to think about where our future would 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 lead, and you know, he knocked on my door early in twenty two, and and we started to talk about what the future could be and how we might do that, and decided you know he decided to establish e commerce ventures as a as a new unit inside the organization, and I joined that that team to help you know lead a component of our of our innovative future, and so it, it does take having a CEO that's got a mind for innovation and, you know, the the ability to, to say, we're going to make the investment necessary to do that. So, you know, this isn't one of those, I feel, you know, grateful for the fact that I get to work in this, call it an entrepreneurial setting, uh, where we're not chasing, you know, seed, series A, series B, series C, where we're going as a company, we believe that we need to invest in the future. And this is one of the ways that we can do that.
2: Yeah, that that's a uh, neat that you still it sounds like you get the flavor of kind of a startup within a big company, but you can use you know the infinite resources you guys have.
0: Yeah, and that, that we think gives us an advantage, and that that's true. We we operate. We don't have an operation in New York. I soon is based in New York, right? Our QBC is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania. HSN is based in Saint Petersburg, Florida, right? So you know we set this up in a, in a new location so that we could operate um, as an independent uh, and entrepreneurial company but knowing that you know just an hour train right away i've got hands and, and resources and folks that can kind of help us get through some of the tougher things of of getting something off the ground yeah exactly
2: now do you have a pretty wide um, aperture of what you could do so could you say Hey, we want to just try something real fast on TikTok, or or is your mandate it kind of needs to run through one of the the motherships or or tap into no, talent on the all. mothership or something?
0: No, we have a very a very wide mandate. Most of the team uh, comes from uh, industries outside of kind of our um, our core family. In fact, most of the talent I've hired has has not been former or current QVC or HSN employees. Uh, they have been. You know, team and talent here based in in New York City, most of them, uh, which is where we've we found the talent pool that we're looking for to kind of build this future. And we have a pretty wide aperture to test and try. And that's you know, we say we've we've been up for for several months now. we're still we largely consider this the beta version because we are still finding the things that we think will be the best fit for the market and create the best experience for both consumers, for brands, and ultimately for creators, because we do the reason we refer to this as a platform is, is we don't see this as just a a one dimensional or or two dimensional relationship, you know, brand to consumer, retailer to consumer, uh, but we're also trying to build a place where creators can build a livelihood as well, where brands can create their own content to connect with consumers, and where we've built kind of a new way for consumers to kind of interact and discover new brands.
1: That that is awesome, and so it sounds like uh, the Soon Mobile app is kind of the first. Public release from live shop ventures yep. am I thinking about that right
0: yeah as soon is kind of our first public facing uh, you know component of the platform we we have components uh, that are that will face brands and that will face creators to help round out this ecosystem that we think will create a new way for you know these different constituencies to meet one another in a pretty exciting and, and interesting interesting way and there'll be more to share. I'm not going to share a ton about those back end. Uh, solutions at at this point but there will be more to share in the future as we as we continue to round out the experience that we think it takes to really make this kind of new v commerce um, mobile experience
1: awesome so maybe you can help it like paint us a picture of, like what is the unique value prop of soon like is is it live is it v commerce like uh, is there a particular category it focuses on or what's the yeah I, it's,
0: no it's Appreciate you asking. So look, at the core of what we're trying to do is, is take the, the the style of video that is loved by uh, a young consumer set call them, you know, Gen Z to early young millennials. We, we call them digitally native consumers. And what we mean by that, that's a buzzword everybody said, but we simply mean people that seem to have been born with an iPhone implanted in their hand um, or some sort of device. And if you, you know, back up to 2007, uh, when the iPhone and these devices launch, we're looking at people that kind of hit their hit their teens or younger in that view. I look at you know the way that they navigate, and that's kind of our core audience because they've grown up with this that device being their primary form of discovering the world. So that's our target. And so our goal was to build an experience that would make sense to that to that audience. So it would be short, would be fast, could would be personalized, um, would include the kinds of voices that they're used to hearing from that they trust and that they find credible Uh, would give brands a place that are searching to find a pathway that are working so hard to build their their products but are can get caught in the jungle that are the very very large marketplaces would give these younger brands these innovative brands a place to meet the consumer and to be discovered and to be seen and to have their whole story told you know it's one thing to just become a product listing on a on a massive platform uh, like Amazon or Walmart, it's another to be able to have someone who understands the consumer tell your brand story. So the value prop is, you know, to really build what we think is, you know, this entertaining, uh, joyful, serendipitous shopping moments uh, where you can just discover brands when you're when you're on the go. We think, in some ways, part of what's so wonderful about the e-commerce experience is also what's so difficult about the shopping experience. And what I mean by that is e-commerce made it easier than ever to buy something. It also made it very difficult to just go shopping. And if you think about the experience we used to love as teenagers, by the way, the Gen Z teenagers still love, which is the notion of wandering a physical location, a mall or a target or pick your brand um, or um, you know, any of those physical experiences where you can just wander and things just inspire you. And you, you may have gone in to buy something. You may have had an idea in mind. You may have not had an idea in mind, um, but it was fun and it was a pastime and it was enjoyable just to go shopping. Digital works differently. Digital is great if you know I need I need luggage for my trip to Europe. I'm getting a backpack. I'm going. I'm, I'm, I'm taking you know three months and traveling through Europe. You can go to the internet and it'll help you find the best backpack and the most array of choices at, at the price. But what if you just Want to sit back and shop, and so our goal was to build a platform where the serendipity of shopping could come again. You could just thumb if you're standing in line at, at the at the Starbucks, or if you're standing in line at the, or you're standing on the platform in the subway station, um, or you're sitting in class and you're done listening to the professor, and you just want to see what might be in your feed that's relevant to you. Uh, this could be as fun as opening TikTok or opening Instagram. Um, this would be opening shopping for the joy of shopping.
1: Uh, I love that. There's um, this entrepreneur uh, Julie Wainwright who founded Real Real, and I don't know if she actually said this, but she's always attributed with his quote: um, "The internet solved buying, but broke shopping." (laughs) Which I think uh, it's a.
0: It's a great quote. I've heard. I've heard that quote. I'm not sure if it's it's hers or not either, but I fully subscribe to it. And that's and that's the reality. And so this is a way to bring it back in a way that we think is is relevant to you know uh, this young emerging audience who's, who's about to have a lot of spending power.
1: Yeah. Now I'm, I'm curious, you've, you've talked about this as a platform and it it, it sounds like it's what I would think of as a sort of two-sided marketplace that you both have to, you know, recruit and keep happy a bunch of world-class creators that are creating content. um, And you've got to recruit uh, and, and keep happy an audience that consumes that content and buys stuff that shows up in the content. Am I? Am I thinking about it right in terms of it being a two-sided marketing challenge?
0: Yeah, I think I, I think we we call it three-sided because oh. we think you, you have to keep the consumer happy, you have to keep the brands and their founders happy, and then you have to you know create something unique and special for creators who may or may not work directly for the brands that they're going to create content for. And so our thought process is thinking about all three of those audiences as as we build, and it's why you know we we don't see this as a you know as a sprint. Um, but is building something that we think, um, will be lasting because we, you know, we're trying to build something that's going to be relevant and meaningful to all three of those participants in the platform. We do operate as a marketplace, right? So we're not buying retail. We're not buying inventory in the traditional sense, right? We're building the destination. We're working to drive consumers to the destination. We're working to source and find great creative talent that we think can build the right kind of content. And then we're looking and reaching out into the, you know, into the re- into the brand landscape to find brands and products that we think would do well with this with this audience. And so we've got all three of those things kind of, you know, working at at once. That's not easy, but sometimes the most rewarding things are difficult.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The uh marketplaces are hard because you're kind of building two businesses at once. You get kind of the consumer and the, the the demand and the supply side. <laughs> it can be Exactly right. But w- once the network effects get going, it's it's a great business, but sometimes it's hard to kind of kickstart them. Do you feel like you guys are at kind of like that product market fit or you're still kind of Experimenting and figuring out, or, or like, uh,
0: yeah, yeah, we think you know what we're excited about t- today is is the engagement from the number of brands that have come on our platform has gone much faster than than we expected. Uh, the consumer, you know, download and engagement, we're in that that um, nice stair step each month, each week of downloads increasing uh, on the platform. So we feel that we're we're moving very strongly towards. That you know that market fit place, but that's why we say we're in beta, right? When we're when we're there, we'll declare uh, that we're there, and we'll change the even the way that we go to market even more more aggressively. But we're excited about the early signs, both the excitement from creators, the excitement from from brands who've come on board, and again the excitement from the early uh, consumers who have engaged with us, the early adopters, and starting to experience the platform. And so all of those things right now are are very positive and. Giving us a lot of optimism as as we think about the future.
2: Um, yeah, this is where it's sometimes great to be in a bigger organization. When you're ready, you can say, "Hey, we need a little distribution." And suddenly, you know, <laughs> you can you can turn that <laughs> funnel on. You got to be, got to make sure you're ready for it. Uh, That's right. It sounds like you probably haven't. You know, you you de- definitely got to get out of beta before you do that. At, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, but then even you know even you know, how do you do the shoots the right way? And, you know, yeah. inside the org, there's tons of just knowledge around streaming and video quality. And I'm sure there's some interesting creators that overlap that'd be fun to tap into it. Even brands, They, you know, I'm sure if you were looking for a brand, um, it's much easier being part of the larger org. To, more brands are going to take your call versus, you know, uh, Joe's startup LLC.
0: Yeah, yeah. I would say one of our... I think that's that's well well said. One of our advantages, right, is is the reality that for you know four decades we've been helping small brands become household names, become very large businesses because we understand the power of live, we understand the power of video, and using it to help you know a founder commercialize their their story and mm-hmm. help it reach an, reach an audience. And so, for sure, that is valuable. As we talk to brands who go, hey, this isn't you know this isn't just somebody out of the out of that corner of their garage going hey we've got an idea for the future of video shopping this is you know the the leader in video and live shopping who said hey we're going to build a new platform a new experience for a new audience and we're going to bring our expertise to video shopping to that to that platform and we're going to help you learn how to do it as a brand we're going to help you learn how to do it as a creator both of those things have been very important at helping Us, you know, get to yeses. We we don't get a lot of nos as we have conversations with brands (laughs) right now. We get a lot of people excited, even in this early journey, even recognizing that we're in the beta phase, because they they believe um, in the business. We're you know we're over three hundred brands already interested and on the platform um, at this stage, and you know we're early on. We launched in March, and so it's it's not been hard to get people excited about the potential. Here and I think part of that is because they can look to the parent of of who's building this, um, and who's making the investment.
2: Yeah, very cool. Would you say so? So that made me. I'm a huge Shark Tank junkie, and uh, <laughs> I always love when Lori's on there because she always has that Trump card of like, I can probably get you on HSN, <laughs> and everyone's like, ooh. Uh, so she gets, tends to get good deals. Uh, So then it made me think, are you dealing with um, challenger brands? Kind of like, you know, things we, you know, people maybe haven't heard of, or is this kind of like, you know, Kate Spade or whoever, I don't want to go into details, but like more, um, you know, long-term brands that are just kind of looking for a fresh new channel. Is there what's resonating?
0: Yeah. So we have a lot of, of what we call emerging brands and we can define those in a couple of ways, right? So they're you know, an emerging brand, might have been around for 10 years or 15 years, but they're just very tightly geographically located. Maybe they just had a couple of stores and a little direct-to-consumer website, but they weren't really propagating their their brand through there. That can be emerging, and we have several brands that look like that. We also have brands that are relatively young. This could be year one, year two, year three, right? And they started as a direct-to-consumer brand, and they're looking for other points of distribution and other places to be able to tell their story. But we've not precluded ourselves from from other brands that are better known and more national in in nature, because again, at the end of the day, you know where our focus has been, um, in the early days is, and it's because this is this is an area that works really well in video, right? Or pro our products that are problem solution oriented products, and kind of these some great brands who innovate and develop some new products that solve a consumer problem, those do really well in video right now, and if you think about. All the you know TikTok made me buy it trends, you know, so many of those products are built around the idea of, hey, we've got a new solution for a problem that you have, or we've got a new take on solving a problem that has been solved a bunch of other ways but never quite solved this way. Those are the kinds of products and brands that do really well, and we find those both in this emerging space, and we also find you also find it in some more established brands. But the focus has really been, can we bring consumers content that's interesting to watch? because what the product does for a consumer is in and of itself useful and highly valuable. And that's, if you spend some time on the app, you'll see a lot of products that are focused in that, in that regard. And so, you know, we've not been exclusionary in, in, by any stretch of the imagination, but we do have a lot of young and fun emerging brands with some amazing founders and some amazing founder stories behind them on the platform.
1: Uh, That, that is awesome. And Brian, uh, a fun fact about Scott, like most people, watch CNBC for Shark Tank and then they accidentally stay on for, <laughs> for Jim Kramer. So Scott's the one guy that watches CNBC for Jim Kramer and then accidentally That's watches no, Shark Tank. For- <laughs> I watch a Shark fresh Shark Tanks on ABC. Yeah. Come on, Jason. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Uh, uh, but, uh, and side note, I keep telling Scott, Scott keeps saying, hey, we need to get on, on, QV, on uh, Shark Tank to get into QVC. And I keep telling him that Curate Retail Group has great merchants. And if you have an awesome product, you 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 can get in regardless of what of uh, whether you know a shark or not,
0: and that you know what that is so true, Jason. That the reality is is that again, if you have a great product, uh, Curate wants to hear from you, and that's and that's the truth. And and you know we understand what works well for our audience, and we understand what works really well for the video platform. And if if you bring it, uh, you can find your way there. I will tell you, we we get a lot of submissions, and, and for obvious reasons, um, but. But, yeah, you absolutely can find your way there without getting on Shark Tank. Although a little bit of notoriety never hurts.
1: No, for sure. Um, so I'm curious about uh, a tactical element of Soon. Um, it seems like you made a conscious decision to natively be an app. And and on the one hand, yeah. like, uh, man, you look at all the, the data and mobile apps are where it's at. Like the, the, the overwhelming majority of all minutes spent on mobile devices are in apps. Um, you know, the top apps have the best engagement and all this stuff. But the flip side is it's it's a brutally competitive yeah. space and it's it's like really hard to get people to download the app and then it's really hard to get them to to reuse it. Like, I'm, I'm curious, did you guys like debate about a mobile web experience versus an app and and decide that that's where you needed to be or, or how has that played out for you?
0: Yeah, so we absolutely did. Jason. It, w- it was probably one of the one of the bigger conversations, right, as we thought about our future and our direction, working with my team and and. Um, you know our partners to think about. Hey, what's the best way to go forward and build a new shopping you know destination? And we certainly researched all the hurdles uh, as well. But we saw all the things that you highlighted in the beginning. Right, the notion that um, more time is spent in apps, particularly from from the target audience we were going after. The engagement is much higher. The commitment once you have it is much stronger. All of those elements said. This is going to be a heavier lift, but it's going to be the right lift for us. Uh, and, and, you know, we have to be committed. We know it's going to take time, but this is going to be the right lift because inside that app also, it just gives you the flexibility to do and create some experiential things that just aren't as, as they're just not as intuitive or as functional as they are in a mobile web app. Um, right. So, you know, I'll give you I'll give you one of the features that we love that's that's just really hard to do in mobile web, but amazing in an app. So, you know, part of our vision was to be able to create this window shopping experience again, right. To bring the joy back to shopping, where literally as you you thumb through things, consider each one of those swipes a window, right. As if you were walking down your favorite shopping destination. And, you know, there's an amazing product with an amazing storyteller. So instead of being on a mannequin in a fixed window, it's by a voice that. Um, you know, has some credibility and authority, and as they tell you about that, well, what if you want to see more from that brand? Well, you just swipe left, and you're into that brand store. Or what if you want to love? What if you love this soonsetter? What if you love this creator? We call them zoom setters That's telling you the product, and you want to well, you want to see more. Well, you just you know tap the screen, and up comes all the video content that that person has created. Doing that in a, in, a, in a mobile app, mobile apps just don't have the same kind of tactical functionality that you can build inside of an app. And we realized part of this, if we were going to build a new experience, we needed the flexibility and the capabilities to be able to use everything the mobile device gives to you. Um, you know, ultimately, we don't have haptics in our experience yet. We will. Um, you know, there are all those things that are, that are native to the app experience that, you know, is opened up in iPhone and ultimately Android, which are not on yet, but but will be in the future, that we wanted to be able to have access to to give it the, the richest experience, even knowing we'd have some hurdles in getting apps downloaded, keeping them on the device, and getting people back to them.
1: I got it. That totally makes sense. Uh, another one that comes up a lot, uh, and especially you mentioned, it seems like adoptions a little earlier in, in China. So I, I watch the Chinese behavior a lot yeah. to sort of <laughs> see if it, it predicts how things will evolve here. And it's it's interesting. There are amazing social platforms that had huge engagement that are all pivoting to become shopping platforms, right? So that's ByteDance, that's WeChat, yeah. Um, and then there are amazing commerce platforms like Alibaba and Tmall that are kind of pivoting to become engagement platforms. And so that's like, uh, uh you know, Jingdong Live and Alibaba Live and all, all of these these things. Like, yeah. I'm I'm kind of curious. Do you have a position like? In the long run, what wins? Like being a, a platform that has a lot of video engagement and adding commerce to it, which in the US, I guess that could be, you know, yeah. TikTok or Instagram. Or is it a platform that really is good at commerce and uh adds adds the video engagement? And so, you know, maybe that's that's obviously uh like Amazon or Walmart. And then I assume like the perfect combo of both of those is of course you guys. Uh
0: yeah. So so I'm not trying to sidestep Here's what I'll say. I think video <laughs> wins. Video yeah. wins, and I'll come back to it. And here's here's why I say that. So, do I think you know TikTok and Instagram and all those who are building you know shopping experiences into their platform have an opportunity to to win and do commerce? They for sure do. In fact, I'll give you an example I often share uh, with you know brands and others as as I'm meeting and, and it's a very simple question for both you, Jason and Scott. Have you ever bought anything while you were in an airport Yes. from a retailer? Awesome. Have you Today. ever gone to the air? Have you ever gone to the airport to go shopping? No. Right. So the reality is, is that airports have a purpose, right? Which is they help you get from one place to another. And it's a very valuable part of your life experience. But what airports learned is, hey, I've got a lot of people in my space. I'll bet if I put some stores in here, a few of those people will buy something. That is for sure going to be true with these social platforms. They have a lot of people in their space. If they create opportunities for people to buy, people will buy. But the purpose for opening TikTok is not to go shopping. And people are finding pathways there because that's like, that's a place where I'm at and and I'm learning their shopping there. So now I can do that. So I I know if I'm Atlanta, I like Ferragamo. I know in the Atlanta airport, there's a Ferragamo store. I can find my way there um, as a, as a consumer and make it a point to go there when I'm in airports where I know the brands that I like are, are at, but that's very different than, than going to your favorite neighborhood street or going to your favorite, you know, mall to go, to go shopping. And so we think those places exist. On the other side, you have right, you have what's happened in in the physical space that's taking place in the digital space, right? So malls have tried to figure out, hey, shopping isn't enough to get people here. I need restaurants and entertainment. I need other things that are engaging. And T Mall and everybody else is going to go down that pathway as well and go, hey, if I want to keep people here, I need I need things that are engaging because consumers are expecting more well-rounded experiences from all the places that they go. And so our view was to say, listen, if you know, let's just build something. That recognizes that, that that's what the consumer needs and wants and create a place where going shopping and, and being engaged and being entertained is in and of itself the point of the, ex, the experience. And we believe there will be space for that for an experience like that. But I think I think commerce is going to happen in all of these spaces if you bring video to them. I think it's going to happen on on you know brand owned websites as they bring video. That's the that's the core of it. And again, you know, you step back and go, well, gee, how much space is there? You know, retail is such a fixed space. Well, that's what we all said, you know, 20 years ago when e-commerce showed up, like e-commerce can't grow the retail space. There's a fixed space. It's going to be, you know, give some, take some. And at the end of the day, retail is just larger as as the platforms and places have continued to evolve and to explode. If you think about the difference between where we are in you know, where Asia is and where we see the Western markets, I think... Part of this is understanding that that I think Asia is unique in that their retail ecosystem, um, you know, take China. is just very different um, from ours when you consider the scale of their population and, and how much of that is urbanized versus still, you know, in more agrarian spaces. And so it's not exactly the fair to make the comparison between those two spaces and, and, you know, they have different tastes and different preferences. And so I think for us in the U.S., I think part of the difficulty has been, we've been trying to apply a formula from Asia to Western markets versus saying, Hey, what's the formula that's right for Western markets and video. Um, and let's, let's take stock of understanding what the retail landscape looks like here, what the consumer behavior and preference for shopping looks like here. And then how do you build something that's around, that i think brands are starting to figure that out i think we're you know we're just at the corner we're probably today where e-commerce was in 2001 2002 right so we're on the 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 verge of exploding but if you remember back in those days there were a lot of brands that were saying yeah we're not going to need an e-commerce site oh yeah and and then five years later everybody in the country had an e-commerce site
2: yeah that um uh well, first of all, w- you should have qualified your question. I'm pretty sure Jason's gone to airports just to go to the Starbucks because he's <laughs> that much of a Starbucks. Now. Uh, or he just like his muscle memory for him. He's like, I want a Starbucks. He just ends up at O'Hare. And uh, he's like, oh, oh, I don't have a flight. But man, this this uh, latte is delicious. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, So I started the company, Channel Advisor, and QVC was an early customer of ours. And I got to go on that behind the scenes tour where you can watch the production room. And it blew my mind as an e commerce person because it was like this pure intersection of data meets TV. Because, you know, the talent on air would have a, 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 they'd be mic'd up and the producer'd say, when you talked about, you know, how the vest feels, uh, they watch this, I think it was like orders per second, some velocity metric. (laughs) And they would tell them to talk more about that. And if a product didn't make a certain velocity, they're like, Next. (laughs) So it's really, so, so I'm kind of thinking, you know, can you guys, because you're, you've got both sides of the marketplace, are you giving your creators some really interesting kind of, you know, QVC, HSN informed data on, on, you know, how, how to make a better video and sell more product and that kind of thing? Or you may be too early in your journey, but it seems like you guys, that would be right in your strike zone
0: no that's the you know that's part of the secret sauce that's why we're so excited about this space is taking that learning and absolutely the analytics right that we're putting in place and ultimately the the algorithms that will drive right the personalization feed and the coaching that's given not just to to creators but then ultimately to brands is all built around enabling their ability to be as effective as possible at producing a video and what works depending on the category so um that's core to, to what we are doing at Soon. Is using data to drive decisions around content, to drive decisions around the feeds that ultimately will be will be sh- you know shared with consumers, right? To create as as much likelihood or much potential for success uh, as possible. And you know you you hit it on the head, Scott. Right? Part of this and part of what's made you know Curate successful for so long is that what seems very soft. Um, is very data intense, and using data to make those decisions, and we see that as being one of our core attributes and our core advantages as we build. Uh,
1: that that certainly makes sense, uh, Brian. I'm I'm sad because I know we're we're running up on time, um, and I have one more topic I want to make sure I get in, um, which is this whole debate of video versus live video, and I yeah. know you know you think about qvc and there's a lot of scarcity built in which makes the the live model yeah. make a lot of sense and in china a lot of it has scarcity of deals and things um in the u.s i hear a lot of people calling things live that aren't even live and so i'm just curious like what you know do you think it needs to be live or is it a place for both like what how do you guys feel think about the live versus uh uh store and play uh video commerce
0: yeah, so we, we use both at Soon. So we think live live has a role in the sense of creating excitement, creating a bit of, of scarcity, also creating the the serendipity of the moment and the authenticity and organic and credibility of, of the content. Most of the content in our mind is shot or created live, meaning we're not trying to do a bunch of takes and a bunch of edits of the work. In fact, I, I tell people all the time, I said, it's part of the magic of one of the longest running shows, Saturday Night Live. It's one of my favorite shows, maybe maybe. Part of your audience loves that show as well. Is right? It's taped in front of a live studio audience, and part of what makes that show so engaging, right, is that reality and the fact that there's room for errors, there's room for mistakes. You know, you may see one or two, but it just feels so in the moment. We think that matters a lot in the experience. But today, I, I don't know. I don't know the facts, but I suspect a lot of SNL is watched after the fact. But the fact that it was shot in front of a live studio audience is what makes it so engaging. So what we think about video and we talk about it live here, we often mean, look, what we want this to feel is live-like, meaning it should feel like you're having an authentic conversation. Sometimes it will actually be live, but the vast majority of the content is going to be consumed post-live because let's be honest, Gen Z doesn't really meet anybody for an appointment anymore from a from a watch perspective, right? They watch things on their own time when it makes sense for them. And and it fits into their to their life. That doesn't take away from the fact that if the offer is big enough or the product's right, right, they'll show up in force for a live moment. Um, and so we believe that that you need both in order to to create something that's compelling. But for us, you know, largely what we think matters is is creating content that is done by people who really know how to speak, can do it in in one take, right? Because You know, they're good at what they what they do and can bring that level of of candor to the to the content. And that's that's what we think really will resonate candidly with people of all ages. We don't think this is that's just specific to young people. That's specific to everybody. We love candidness. Uh we love I think you opened the podcast here saying, Hey, listen, if you make a mistake or two, we're not gonna stop and re-record and all those things, right? Because you're going, listen, part of what makes this so natural is when it's captured in the moment we think that's true for for video commerce as well
1: that uh, I love that that that's a perfect way to sort of describe uh that the approach it makes perfect sense to me side note the reason we do that on the podcast is because scott makes so many mistakes that we couldn't possibly go back and fix them all um (laughs) hey i i think brian was saying we're influence we're uh we're popular influencers that's how i I I feel like he's like snl (laughs) and the jason and scott are the the two top top tier uh entertainment vehicles i think that's very fair uh but brian i'm i'm super sad to report that we've used up our allotted time um this has been a great conversation and we we sure appreciate you taking time to talk with us
0: I appreciate you having me on the show thank you so much guys
2: Brian if uh folks want to learn more about your online thoughts or you uh are you an influencer yourself do you publish somewhere or you just uh want to encourage them to check out that
0: no you so you can absolutely follow me on uh, LinkedIn for sure um I do post uh, on occasion I'm not an avid poster right now because my head has been down here, but please do that. And then again, I would encourage you to download Soon. Uh, if you have an iPhone, uh, you can visit us at Soon.Live to hear more about this. If you're a brand uh, and you want to be a part of part of what we're doing here, please go to Soon.Live. You can fill out a form and, and someone from our, uh, our merchandising team will reach back out to you for, fairly quickly uh, and get you connected. But um, yeah, thank you again for the time.
1: Brian, we will put all those links in the show notes for anyone that wants to follow up with uh, uh, soon. And until next time, happy e-commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on
0: e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.